So there's this guy, he's taking a walk through the woods one day. He's a self-proclaimed atheist. He doesn't believe God exists, and it's a beautiful, beautiful day. He's, the sun's shining, birds are singing, there's a little babbling brook. He's just thinking this is awesome, when all of a sudden, boosh, out of the woods comes this seven-foot grizzly bear roaring and chasing after him. So he books it. He's running through the woods, through the trails, over this tree, over a boulder, but trips and falls down, and all of a sudden he's on his back. The bear is over top of him reaches back with its huge paw, about to take this big swipe, and he yells out, Oh God, please help me! Everything freezes. The birds stop chirping. The bear freezes in motion. And all of a sudden, this light comes down out of the sky, and this voice, it says, So let me get this straight. You live your whole life denying me. You even say that this beautiful day was created just by some cosmic accident, and now... In your time of greatest need, you expect me to help you. Am, am I reading that right? Should I now count you as a believer? And the guy's sitting there thinking, you know what? That's probably a little bit hypocritical. <sighs> okay, how about this? I don't want to become a Christian, but would you make the bear a Christian? <laughs> and, and there's a pause, and, and all of a sudden the voice says, very well. So the light goes out, time starts again, the birds are chirping, and the bear moves. And the paw that was ready to strike comes down, and its other one comes, and it folds and says, thank you, Lord, for this meal that I'm about to receive. <laughs> Don't you just love stories? I know I, know I do. They're, one of the things that I love about uh, being married to Sarah is we, we often read side by side, and one of my fondest memories is her giggling to the exploits of Anne of Green Gables. Stories are magical. And one thing that I can say for my own personal walk with God, one of the things I'm most grateful for is his inclusion of me in the greatest story ever told. It's wonderful to be a part of a story that has so much adventure and intrigue and suspense. There's things always going, that we, going on that we don't expect to happen, but yet we get to be a part of that, a part of this story called life. As we read through the Bible, we, we find that we are told we're privy to what's going to happen at the end. We're, that seems to be quite clear. Some of what's going to happen before that is a little bit muddy and even further back when we try to decide what happens on a day-to-day -day basis, we get some general guidelines, but there's a lot of questions. What are we supposed to be doing with our time from now until that moment when Jesus returns? Jesus, like the good teacher and leader he is, he wants us to be able to understand that. He wants us to be able to succeed, and so he's given us a template or a, a basic blueprint for life to help us as individuals, when we think about our own personal story, to have that personal story have a happy ending. You do want to have a happy ending to your story, don't you? If you haven't already, please turn to Matthew 25. This is one of my favorite passages, and, and as I was thinking about the, what I wanted to leave you with, as Andrew mentioned, this is going to be my last sermon here, at least for a while. And I wanted to leave you with something that has been an encouragement, a big challenge to me and to Sarah, to, to our family, 
as we've thought about ministry, as we've thought about life, as we've thought about things that we are doing, the decisions we make, this passage has been huge for us. And it's the words of our Lord Jesus, and you can never go wrong with that, can you? So this passage is sitting in the middle of what's known as the Olivet Discourse. And if you were here a couple months ago and you were here for the Jesus Said What series, you would have heard me give a message about the, th- about the sheep and the goats. And that's at the end of this discourse. What we're, our passage today is going to be talking about, it's the story he gives right before that one. And in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is showing himself to be this master storyteller The point of all these stories and what he's talking about is he's trying to make sure that people understand what is expected of them So he, before he comes back. So first he talks about some signs that are going to be coming, but then he gets into stories about how they're supposed to behave before he comes back. The first story he tells is about a servant, and the servant is left in charge of other servants, and the master goes away, and instead of looking after the other servants, this servant decides to get drunk and beat the other servants. Unexpectedly for him, the master comes back, and let's just say it doesn't end very well for that servant. Then the next story he tells, it's about ten bridesmaids, or some of you may remember the story being known as the ten virgins. There are these ten women And they're part of a bridal party, and they're supposed to be waiting expectantly for the bridegroom to return. Now, if you know anything about ancient history, you know that these wedding festivities would sometimes go on for hours or days, and no one knew when some of these things were going to end. So these women were supposed to be waiting, and they're supposed to be waiting with the lamps lit, so they needed to have enough oil. And the way the story goes is five of them had enough. They were called wise. They had enough oil. So their lamps would be lit when the bridegroom returned. But the other five didn't have enough oil. They weren't prepared, and then they were left scrambling. So when the guy comes back, he's like, let's party. Come on in, everybody with lit lit lamps. Five of them go in, but five of them are left on the other side. So treat people nice and be ready for when the master returns. That's basically what we're getting at so far. And then Jesus gets into today's story. And and today's story is a story about God's provision for his people. God's provision for his people and what is expected for those who receive it. Namely, and this is going to be our big idea for the day, so this is something we want to have rolling around in the back of our minds, that we need to use it or lose it. What's it? Well, it, I'm going to be saying this a lot, but we want to have this in our minds. This is, and I'm giving sort of general categories here. This is, it would be our time, talent, or treasure. Time, talent, treasure. Treasure, what I mean by that? I mean money and possessions. And if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, to be a consistent follower, what we do with our time, talent, and treasure is important. It's supposed to be used for God's good purposes. And that's what this story is all about. So we're going to jump in. I'm going to start in verse 14. And then I'll just be commenting as we go. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. 
going on a long trip. So Jesus here uses this word again. He wants to link his story with the other stories that he's been talking about. And he's been addressing what life in the kingdom is. So he calls it the kingdom of heaven. So obviously he's not talking about heaven because they'd be dead, right? So he's talking about something else. The kingdom of heaven is a reality that is open to those who place themselves under the authority of Jesus here on earth. Put, make Jesus their Lord, their King, their Savior, all of these things. So this is that reality for those who choose to follow Jesus. We're not giving lots of details about this man. We, we know from his place that he has these uh, people under him, that he'd be very wealthy, uh, and that he's going on a long trip. This is the, the context of this person for the story that Jesus is telling. So he's going on this trip, but before he goes, moving on, second half of verse 14, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So I think we need a little bit of explanation uh, that will help get us some grips, some handles, on this to be able to better understand the story itself, but also the characters. Uh, first, when we hear the word servant, I think often we think like, you know, Downton Abbey or something like that, right? They, they have their little uniform and they come in and they can go home afterwards and it's, it's more like a job, right? That's what we often think. But uh, for those of you who don't know, the, the New Testament was written in Greek and then we translate it. And the word that's used here, Greek, is, is doulos. And doulos doesn't mean servant. Doulos means slave. So these are, these are three slaves. But the problem when we say that is when we think slave, we think beatings and, and that sort of thing. We, we have a different idea about what that is. So it's unfortunate. What, what is true or most likely true is these men would have been three businessmen because of what they're in charge of doing, what they're being asked to do, they would have had to have some chops, some savvy to be able to do it. So more than likely they were businessmen. And what had happened is, for whatever reason, maybe their fault, maybe not, they had lost their business ventures and therefore had to sell themselves and their families into servitude in order to pay off their debts. So they're slaves. This isn't just a job. They become this person's property. So before he goes on his trip, he calls his three slaves to come in, and he tells them to take his money. Second, and you guys are getting a lot of Greek this morning. It's awesome. The word there, and the, I'm using the, the New Living Translation, and, and they translate it silver, but many of your translations, if you have ESV or NIV or something, would, tra would translate it talent. And the, the Greek word is talenton, talenton. And that is a, a unit of monetary measurement. And so basically what most people understand it to be worth about is 20 years wages, roughly speaking. So in today's money, we're talking one talent equals about a million dollars. That's just a, a good rough and ready estimate. So five million, two million, one million. I'm going on my trip, I'll see you later, right? He gives it to according to their abilities. So how do the slaves react? Now, I'm going to keep saying slaves, though, and I just want a disclaimer. Remember, this isn't the, the type of slavery we think of. So don't get caught up in that. So the, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went and earned 
two more. So what I'm not seeing there is anything regarding commission, right? Like these, these guys aren't it's sort of investment bankers that are getting a nice slice of the pie to go along with what they're doing. No, instead what I see is guys that are given, been given this opportunity of sorts to be able to feed their family, put a roof over their head, and clothes on their back. And they're taking advantage of it. Not only that, they're, they're capitalizing on this with a good work ethic. They, they're getting after it. Verse 18. But, and that is a huge but. Remember when we're, when we're studying our Bibles and we see a word like that. That's, gonna, that's, a, that's a key, right? We want to pay attention to that. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, this kind of seems reasonable to me because there's not, you know, a bunch of Danny Costas running around in, in this time where you can just say, hey, you know, Danny, give me this money. Danny's a, like an investment banker, for those of you who don't know. And here, take this money and help me build it, right? So there's a lot of risk that's involved, ergo why these guys are probably been put into or sold themselves into slavery, so to, to hide money, I know a guy now who doesn't trust banks, and he, he literally tells me he hides it in or I guess maybe under his mattress. That's where he puts all of his money. Or perhaps some of you have seen Stand By Me, you know, the, the tale of four boys coming to age, and one of them buries his hard-earned change in a jar, or he puts it in a jar and buries it in the ground. Fortunately, he can't find or remember where he buried it. So it's, uh, hopefully this won't happen to this lady, but I, I can understand the reasoning behind that. But we've got to ask ourselves, is we're, do you think that this was a good strategy? Verse 19. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Gold, right? That's... See, you may not have noticed, but two things that I noticed that were missing from those instructions that he gave before he left the master. First, he, he didn't say that there was going to be an account at all. And second, he didn't, he didn't set up what was going on. So we have two people that doubled, right? So they've done the same thing. And then we have one who's broken even. But we don't know what the expectation is what was supposed to be happening. I think it's unrealistic for us now to be thinking that when Jesus returns, that we should be in the middle of doing something really righteous. Do you know what I mean? Like, we should be right in the middle of, like, feeding a homeless person or, or clothing the naked or, or something other really awesome thing, right? But wouldn't it be awesome, though, if that were the case, right? Like, you know, open wide, right? And the, oh, hey, Jesus, when did you get back? Uh, me now? Just nothing. I'm just feeding this homeless person, right? No, no big deal, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the case? But chances are, and if we think about it, I mean, somebody's got to be sleeping, right, when, when Jesus comes back. Someone's going to be in the bathroom. Someone's going to be watching TV, when Jesus, because life is just going to be going on. So it's unrealistic for us to have this expectation that we have to be in the middle of something like that. 
But what is realistic that we should expect is that when Jesus returns, that he is going to, he's going to want to talk this out. He's going to sit down and be like, so tell me what, what you've been doing while I've been gone, right? Like we can, we can see that as being a good expectation. So here's the accounting scene and the story that he's telling. Verse 20, the servant to whom he'd entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of, or five bags of silver to invest, right? And here's five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. That always makes me laugh, this small amount, right? <laughs> and... So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Woo! Right? Like, woo! This is awesome. Let's party. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. Right? And I have earned two more. There we go. And the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You also have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Woohoo! So you'll notice when we read through this, they both, there's, there's two things that are similarities here. One, they both double their money, and they both receive the same reward. So the reward is based not on, he, the one doesn't get like he, five times the praise or, or whatever it is. The other only gets two times the praise. They, they get the same amount of, of praise. So it's based on the effort. At least that's what we're led to believe with the text. We have to ask ourselves this question, though. Did this, did this happen to them by accident? As we've been reading, is this the impression that we get that this has happened by accident? Uh, when Sarah, over the, the last couple of years, Sarah and I being here, we have a ton of fond memories uh, of the time that we've spent here. We, uh, you know, our, the Lunar New Year festivities and, and with ESL folks and on Mondays and doing all that fun stuff, uh, getting to watch people serving on Wednesdays at, at Food for Life and, and doing their thing and uh, Sunday mornings and, and all the, the events that we've done and meals that we've had together, all the shenanigans I've gotten into with Andrew as we've run around and, and had some fun doing ministry and, and meeting weekly and my Saturday morning men's group that we've had uh, gotten to eat together and wrestle with some of the truths that we've been doing. And one thing, though, that's really, really uh, stood out to me as well has been my time with the leadership training guys uh, here at Oak Ridge. How many, I don't even know how many of you guys are here today. If you're a leadership training guy, can you just put up your hand? I think just Tony. Tony, you got to put up your hand, dude. There we go. Is it just Tony? All right. So Tony, there's also th there's three other guys, right? There's uh, Charles Mostert, there's Mike Carey, and there's Danny Costa. Danny already made an appearance in this sermon already. But So these four guys were willing to be guinea pigs in my crazy idea and, and take part in this leadership training group for a year. And over this year, they committed to meeting, and, and they actually took, since it's, it's a, it was a, a pilot thing, they, we were changing it as it went. And it was supposed to be meeting sometimes, but they ended up meeting every two weeks to be able to go over stuff. They've been reading leadership books. They've been getting involved in ministry leadership. They were the masterminds behind our awesome 
May community outreach event. It's been cool. And, and on top of all of these things they've been doing, they still have their personal lives that they're, they're dealing with too. So this is something that they committed to. And one thing, one word that has, keep, that has kept coming up as we've been going through this group and spending time together is the word intentional or intentionality. This is a buzzword. And we've discovered that this is something that should undergird everything that we do in the church. We should be intentional about it. And so when we read this passage and we see these two guys, we see that they were intentional about what they did. They thought about it and they went after it. They're intentional. For us, the use of our time, our talents, and our treasure must be intentional. It must become a primary focus. Just as the primary focus of these guys was to double their money, our focus, primary focus needs to be to double it. Because otherwise, we're just going to, be end, we're just going to end up burying our talents in the dirt like a dirty old dog. And some of you are probably thinking, but Chris, don't all dogs go to heaven? Not these dogs, Sally. So what do you think is going to go through the mind, or as he's talking, what's going through the mind of the third guy as these guys are being rewarded or praised? Verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Here is your money back. One. So, in other words, Master, this is your fault. If you weren't such a jerk you would have made more money. And one thing I love about, about preaching to you guys is I, I know I'm in a room full of, of smart people and you're probably thinking right now, wait a minute, if this guy really is like that, if the master, if that really describes how he is, wouldn't this guy have been motivated to obey him and do something for him if, if he's really that bad? Like, I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like this guy's making excuses for why he wasn't able to do what he was supposed to do, to live up to the responsibility that was given to him. Because you think by doing this, this would probably just make the master more mad, wouldn't it? Well, let's find out. Verse 26, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. That's clearly not what he was expecting, though. But he said at the very least. Now, I know maybe some of us are thinking, hey, isn't that a little bit harsh for him to say? Uh, D.A. Carson, a... Uh, theologian, he notes that grace never condones irresponsibility. Even those given less, so that's the third guy and, and probably most of us, are obligated to use and develop what they have. So this clearly wasn't a winning strategy 
for the third guy. This slave, he's guilty of passivity and fear that led him to sit on and therefore do nothing with what had been given to him. Friends, this, this day that, that Jesus is alluding to is coming. And I know for, for lots of us, it, stuff like that, a deadline isn't a very good motivator. I know for myself, when I'm trying to get ready for things, I often underestimate what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it in order to get it done in time. Like moving. Man, if this was up to me, man, we'd be in trouble. But I'm blessed to have a very organized and administratively gifted wife who is helping me. But we're not all so lucky. I, a number of, way back, a number of years ago, some guys and I were, went over to this person's place and we were to help them move. And we showed up to this person's two-bedroom, hoarder-esque basement suite, and there was maybe two boxes packed or something like that. Like, there was, there was almost zero preparation. So we left. We, we quoted this verse out and said, should have been ready, and we got out of there. Just kidding. We, <laughs> we didn't do that. Come on. No, we, uh, we helped her. We... we picked up everything and, and we helped. It was a really, really long day. But the difference between that situation and the one that Jesus is talking about here is there's not, it's, it's not one-to-one, right? This, the, what Jesus is talking about, we can think of more like a final exam, right? You're given, you're given all the knowledge you need, you're given the, the means to which to prepare, and you're given a deadline, and then the responsibility becomes yours, so you can either be ready and prepared when that day comes or not. Last servant wasn't. And there's consequences. Verse 28. Then he ordered the master, take the money from this servant, this slave, and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant out into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if it wasn't clear already, the money is the master's, and the master will judge based on the use of the money. I'm going to say that again. The money is the master's, and the master will judge based on the use of the money. My previous pastor, uh, Jeff Bucknum, he has something to say on this topic, and I'm going to try and say it with the same passion with which he does. So he asks, what is your thing the thing you point to and say, this makes me important. Where did you get that thing from? Well, I have a lot of money and I've been an excellent businessman. Really? It's not because the economy was just right at the time you needed it to be. It's all your ability. Listen, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you might not be good at that, but the thing you're good at, you're good at because God made you good at it. 
The money that you have is not yours. It was given to you by God. The ability you have is not yours. It was given to you by God. The talent that you have is not yours. So who should it be used for then? Man, if we as the church could just cross the threshold so that we would embrace this idea, you do realize that missionaries wouldn't have to come and beg us for money anymore. If we could just cross the threshold and just embrace the idea that it is the master's money to be used to further his interests, not ours, we would ask big questions about the ways, the things that we buy and about the ways that we use our time. Whose money is it? Some of us at Oak Ridge, we know someone who lives like this quite well. His name is Andreas, and he lives down in Bolivia. We've had the opportunity to serve with him a couple of years now. Bob's known him since forever. He's been up here, he's, he's spoken here for us. And how does Andreas describe his house? Anybody remember? It's kind of a trick question. Because he, he actually says he doesn't have a house. Which is weird because I've been in it. Uh, but he says that it's God's house. That God just lets him use it. So you, you can actually... I remember actually the first time I, I heard him, when I heard him say that, I, I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's true, Andreas, but... Do you really have to say that? Like, that's it's kind of Jesus jukey. But when we were down there, and I actually got to see how this man lives selflessly, you can actually go to God's house pretty much any time you want, and Andreas will just happen to be there, and, and he'll make you tea. Before I close... I, I, I want to leave you with a challenge, one challenge, and two encouragements. So the, the challenge is I want you to prioritize spending your time, talent, and treasure on God's kingdom, not your kingdom. This is a question that we should ask ourselves from time to time. I'm going to go into one specific sphere about what I'm talking about, but this can apply in a lot of different areas, but here's a question that we should ask ourselves from time to time. If I, or if everyone in my church community gave the same level of participation as me, what would things look like around there? Another way of putting it, if everybody here at Oak Ridge gave the same level of participation as you, so participation, time, talent, treasure, as you, what would things look like around here? How many people would be serving during the week and on Sunday mornings? 
What, what would Sunday attendance be like? Even in the summer. How much money would Oak Ridge have to pay for staff, building, upkeep, and to bless people at Oak Ridge and in Oakville and then around the world? It costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep this place going. What, what, how much money would Oak Ridge have if everybody gave like you? Now, I know that you're thinking, man, this is a, a guilt-trippy way of questioning, but friends, I, I'm not kidding, and now there's Jesus, when the question that you're going to get is, what were you doing when I was gone? Jesus, he's going to say it probably way more eloquently than that, he's Jesus, but he's gonna, that's going to be the question that we're all going to have to answer. This is why he spent so much time on this topic when we read through the New Testament. Be ready. You never know when I'm coming back. I want to help us with this challenge, though, and, and it's all about perspective. I want us to be able to look at this because whether, whether we understand this or not, we are all slaves. We just have to choose to who we're going to be enslaved to. And I'm going to illustrate this two ways, one with a story and then with Scripture. There's a, a story, and it's attributed to, to a First Nations elder, so I couldn't disprove that, so I'll just keep that there. And he's sitting there, and he's been asked to discuss the struggles that happen within him. And he says, it's like there's two dogs within me. And there's, an, there's an evil, mean dog, and there's a good dog. And the evil, mean dog attacks the good dog a lot. They fight. And someone asks him, well, well who wins? And he says, the one I feed the most. This is remarkably close to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, when he writes, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. <laughs> Thank God. Because once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. In each one of us, friends, there's a battle that is raging. On one side is what we want to do with what we think is ours. And on the other side is God with what he wants us to do with what he has given us. So which one are you going to nurture? Okay. Now for the, the two encouragements, and then we're done. First one, the master is coming back. The master is coming back. There is a glorious ending waiting for those who trust and follow Jesus Christ. I just want to give you just a little glimpse, just a little glimpse 
of what we have to look forward to if you've decided to put your faith there. This is in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. The sea represents chaos. And, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself is with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And then when Jesus, when that day comes and Jesus is standing in front of you, in all his glory, you can hear him call your name into that eternal party. Well done, good and faithful servant. You can be a guest of honor in his house and celebrate with him. And this leads to that, the second encouragement, remember I promised two, the second one, is you have an invitation to the master's party. It just needs to be activated through faith in Jesus and then validated by doubling what you've been given. That's something to celebrate, isn't it? Isn't that something to be excited about? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. We are so, so grateful for you and for everything that you do for us. We're grateful that you've included us in this story, that you've given us time, talent, and treasure to be able to use for your glory. And and God, we know that this message is heavy on us. It's tough on us because we want to love you. We want to serve you. But sometimes it's not so easy with everything that we have going on around us. So God, we need your spirit. We need you to be able to come into our lives, to empower us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to follow after you wherever you go, to know that this life, though it is incredibly important, it is also incredibly short in comparison to the life that we have waiting for us in your kingdom that is coming, in your heavenly kingdom that we can expect to be in if we follow after your son Jesus. That eternal kingdom is where we're coming. So help us remember that. Help us be good stewards with what we have to provide for other people, to love people. In your name we pray. Amen.